0: Hello, and welcome to Quiet Visionaries. I'm Jake Hogan from TrueMind Consultant. Consulting. I'm fascinated by how systems and organizations work, how they change, and how they can be helped to change. In this podcast, I'll be talking to people who are working behind the scenes to help organizations do the right things instead of doing the wrong things right away Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. My guest today is Robin Davis. Robin Davis runs a consultancy called Assurativity. He's a purveyor of many things, including GC index, and we'll get into what that's about, Um, AI and technology for good. If you read his, uh, his public posts, you'll find them sprinkled with references to Star Trek, and symphonic metal and many other good things besides. So welcome, Robin.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Jake, for inviting me. Happy to be here.
0: So let's get straight into it. Um, there's there's a few different things you covered. I don't know if my brief intro did them all justice or there's anything else we, we may get into as the conversation progresses. But um, the first thing people see if they look you up on LinkedIn, on your, on your website, there's a lot of talk about the GC index. Now, when I first met you, I didn't know what this was. I've since become a little bit more educated. But can you tell the listeners a bit about what that is?
1: Uh, certainly. Uh, the, the, the GC index is, the, the GC bit stands for Game Changing Index. Uh, it came about in 2014. It was developed by psychologists who were first engaged by business, uh can't, can't forget it's it a chartered something of something, um, uh, to, to find out how they identify the game changers in the world, because obviously most organisations, their business as usual, they go through the same problems, the same challenges, and they, they wanted to identify who is it, how can we identify the likes of the Steve Jobs, the people that can really find some a left-field solution. So they actually did that, and when they looked at the data, uh, they realized there's a lot more there. So they, they came up, you know, they they looked at the data, and they, they came up with, in total, what we call proclivities, five different proclivities. So it's your natural tendencies. So these are your natural tendencies of things that you like to do. So even if you're not skilled in them, these are things that you like to do. So for me... You know, one of the proclivities is an implementer I come up with great ideas I'm not very good at implementing I have what we call low energy in implementing I'm more of an ideas person I like to um look at the big picture try and put little jigsaw pieces into place so I'm a strategist I also like the people side of it uh so one of the other proclivities is the is the playmaker <clears throat> but trying to Cut the long story a bit shorter. Um, What we actually use it for uh, is totally different to a personality psychometric, which looks earlier in the psychological life cycle. It looks at the life experiences and beliefs and everything else and your, your personality. So things like Myers-Briggs are a lot earlier in the life cycle. Then you have emotions and everything, uh, outcomes, action, or actions, outcomes, and impact. We look at the impact end. It's less abstract, it's more direct. And the beauty of the GC index, because we are looking at impact and the potential for impact, whether you have the skills or not, these are the things that you like to do during the day. These are the things that give you energy, um, as opposed to other things, like for me, implementing sucks energy out of me. I can do it, but I can't do it for too long. But all of this actually maps onto the business change life cycle. So we can actually, when people actually do the assessment online, it only takes 10 or 15 minutes. Um, when we actually come to do the profile review, we explain the definitions of these proclivities and we actually get people to estimate what their own energy levels are. And they're normally quite close, quite spot on. This is only after five minutes of explaining what the definitions are and if people can actually understand and estimate their own energy levels that quickly then you have a means for communication you can communicate with people you say i know i like doing strategist work you don't let's say why don't i do the strategist work if you're a good implementer you can do the implementing work it enables people to have a framework to actually communicate because one thing we don't do is communicate enough um and being as it does map onto the 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 change life cycle it's easy for people to actually understand very quickly as opposed to things like personality tools which whereas we look at the actual impact they look at the how you deliver impact. It's too, it's more abstract. So I can tell you that I'm a Myers-Briggs um, INTJ. And you think, well, that's nice, but so what? I don't know what impact you can actually deliver. So I come from an architecture world. So the... If I, I do have a drawing, but we're, we're doing a podcast, so <laughs> I have I have a sort of pipeline going through the psychological trail, and the, the impact is at the right hand end. So that's sort of the to be you, know, you want to deliver impact to your team, yourself, your team, your organisation. At the left hand end is where you got the personality profile tools, so which is more abstract. So that is actually I've got this the wrong way around. Typically, you'd have the left-hand end, you know, the as-is and the the 2B at the right-hand end. You know, as-is a bit more the other way around, the the right-hand end is, it is also the 2B, but we are measuring what your potential is to deliver that 2B. So we're actually showing the as-is end of the lifecycle. I'm I'm really making a, (laughs) maybe not being very clear on this, Um, but you always have to start, knowing where you're actually starting from yeah so you get actually set the right direction to know where you're actually going to we know by doing these assessments we know where your potential is as to where you can get to and we know where you currently are so by scaling this up because we do it for individuals we do it for teams we can we can look at a team profile as well amalgamate it together uh, and we can see where the strengths are in the team, where the weaknesses are in the team as to what impact they can provide. So we, we do it for private equity firms when they're investing in organizations. Uh, we can have a look at the board. We can have a look at the CEO. And we can say, okay, well, you've been very good at software release number one, you know, coming up with the game-changing idea. However, now you need to innovate and improve on that for release two, three, four, five. Do you actually have the right people in the right places and the right energies to be able to do that? That was a. Uh, did, did did I actually answer the question? It was a long answer.
0: <laughs> um, well, it makes sense to me. Um, with the caveat, I've obviously had a look at a bit of this stuff before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I found that quite coherent. So, I have some questions. One thought that occurred to me is: is there not a risk of kind of segregating people into silos so to take your example you're a strategist you you don't get a lot of energy from the implementation fair enough but does that not lead you to putting all the strategists in one room or the implementers in another room and it's like almost they can't mix so you as a strategist you talk to other strategists and you don't know what's actually happening in the implementation so you miss you potentially miss out on opportunities for real-life learning from the implementation that could inform the strategy, if that that's makes a, sense that, in that example.
1: It, it does. I mean, that's that's a good question. I mean, our, we, we have the five proclivities, and you have energy levels between 1 and 10 in each of the five. You know, we do look at the top two, because that's your leadership style, your, your leadership impact. But you do actually have an energy in all five of them. And, you know, you can have two people with exactly the same profile of energies across all five, but it all comes down to the context. But it enables people to actually understand each other to to know when they want to use that energy. So we've got 100,000 combinations. Two people with exactly the same combination can still approach things in a very different way. So it's... Why we do the profile review before they actually see the report is to actually go through to figure out why they have the energies that they do. So for me, I actually have five quite even um, energies across you know across each of them. Um, I'm in the mid-band. If you think of this, you know, the energy levels of between 1 to 10 as a, a normal distribution, I'm in the mid-band, which means that if a team doesn't actually have that kind of impact, that kind of energy, I can step in. However, if they already have someone there with a higher energy level than me, then I'm quite happy to to set you know, to step back and let them take control. So, to answer part of your question, is you know, yes, there could be a tendency for people to get labelled together. Um, however, that that is. Without knowing the context of the individuals, that is quite dangerous, because if you have two or three people with a very high energy, let's say, in the strategist, then they are likely to um, conflict with each other, because they'll each try to be top dog and try to enforce their own views on the world. But by actually showing people as to what the ranges are, even in one proclivity, so if you do have three people who have you know strategist energies then you can say okay well this person has very high strategist energy they will probably want to take the lead but we actually have successors we have other people that can do some of the work as well but once you've identified them you're automatically removing quite a lot of potential conflict Without actually having this diagnostic data available, because these things will happen anyway, the conflicts will happen anyway. Yeah, um, but we can actually help mitigate some of that by saying, "Okay, we understand why that is happening." Um, so,
0: so it's a way of surfacing rather than prescribing. You guys go and play in that room. You guys play in that room. Uh,
1: yeah, no, e- exactly. I mean, e- each each proclivity has has different strengths and weaknesses so for for instance the game changer um so if you if you think of a um the number five on a on a dice so you've got two up two down and one in the middle Mm -hmm. game changer is top right so we have two axes we've got the horizontal axis, which is obsession and we have the vertical axis which is imagination so top right they're very obsessive and they have high imagination so one of the things with the game changers is that you know, like the Steve Jobs, they can see a totally different way of doing things. They they come up with real wild and wacky ideas. Okay,
0: so these are the visionaries, um,
1: really. Yeah, they are the visionaries. And they also get frustrated when other people don't get it, that they don't get the message. So next to them, at the top left of the, that five on the dice, is the strategist. They're the ones that look at the big picture. They look at patterns and everything else. If you have a high game-changer who has the tendency to, to get frustrated, you buddy them up with a strategist. Because the strategist can communicate naturally quite well with a game-changer and say, I understand what you're doing. I, know, I understand what you're trying to do. I can put that in my jigsaw puzzle as this piece. I can translate it to everyone else. OK, whereas so kind also, of bring uh, it down whereas, to us a bit, maybe. Yeah, um, bottom left, or well, yeah, at the bottom you've got the what we call the implementer and the polisher. So the implementer is exactly what it says on the tin. You know, they're they they're good at delivering, they will deliver whatever. Um whatever you give them, they will they will deliver and they will just even if you don't give them something, they will deliver something. But they they don't have quite as much imagination. But if you put those in the same room as a game changer and a strategist, say at the beginning of a, a project or a program. Then the implementer is going to get frustrated. and just said, "You know, just tell me what I need to do." I, you know, just stop talking about ideas. What, what is it that we're here for? Yeah. So there are pros and cons of each proclivity, and by understanding that, yes, you are servicing how people actually interact and when you know, know, you know what is it? What's what's the term? Knowledge, knowledge is, um uh, not armament or whatever else. Knowledge <laughs> but, and power. Yeah, I think that, that, that that's the one. Knowledge is power. So if you know what makes other people tick and they understand what makes you tick, you can have a more open and frank conversation because otherwise everyone is just guessing. Um, I mean, we, we do have one diagram which shows that certainly in terms of recruitment and everything else, people have to interpolate between experience expertise and personality as to what what the impacts that person is going to provide so they look at your CV they look at your LinkedIn profile they look at your historic performance but you know just like in finance you know historic performance does not predict future performance yeah
0: that little health warning they print in quite yeah. a small print sometimes And
1: um, and that's that's exactly the same here so when you look at a CV or you look at a LinkedIn profile, you're saying, okay, well, yes, they can deliver stuff. We can see that. But that does not mean that they'll be able to deliver stuff in the future. And certainly, we can both probably say, being consultants, that wherever we've been, we've seen the same problems, but in different combinations and different permutations. And no job is ever the same, even though it may look the same on the surface. And it depends on what your natural talents are so we we have a another thing called gc translate which does the same as the gc index does for people but it does for written documentation so we can actually look at the energy of of what any written documentation like a cv or a linkedin profile or strategy document or role or anything and we can say what the energies are um in that i've lost my train of thought now (laughs) What? Oh, where was my train of thought? Ah, no, I've stalled myself.
0: <laughs> maybe you have a pause and we'll, and, and we'll come back to you. Um, yeah, I was yeah. struck by when you were talking about having the the game changer and the strategist kind of collaborating. So one is maybe seeding the other one with big ideas and the other one's bringing the, the strategist, bringing the game changer down to earth a bit. It struck me a bit... Um, as something like what you get in the three horizons framework where you know horizon three is the the big desired future that that we're getting to um or that we'd like to get to um and of course the present day is was once it was once uh horizon three and no factors that that brought us where we are now so there's always there's always one or more third horizons that you're working towards. The first horizon is obviously now, BAU, and horizon two is the kind of messy in-between where people are strategizing and innovating. And maybe you make a breakthrough towards the kind of new imagined future, which is yeah. where the strategy moves more in the direction of the vision, or you end up with incremental improvements on the status quo and you don't break through. And the strategist is maybe kind of caught caught in the middle between the visionary trying to move towards H3 and maybe implementers that just want to do the day job and not not ask big questions, pulling them back towards um,
1: the status quo. Yeah. No, no, so, uh,
0: sounds,
1: sounds sounds about right.
0: <laughs> so it's interesting this because you're saying they're, obviously with all these profiling tools, people always say that none is right or wrong and it's just a matter of knowing where you fit in and how you work together with other people. And that is something it has in common with, I guess, with Myers-Briggs and other profiling tools. There isn't a good or a bad personality type. And if this is impact, you're saying there isn't a good or a bad impact type. You just need to know what you have and combine them in the right way.
1: Uh, yes. I mean, one, one key element of this is we actually look at, you know, we look at your natural energies, your your strengths, uh, as opposed to things like personality tools, which, you know, do actually, you know, <laughs> you got the, what was it, the Hexaco or whatever. You know, you, you can have some quite toxic people. So even though they may have the right potential to make a good impact, if they have a bad personality, they're never going to deliver that impact. But there's so many people that don't understand what their own strengths are. You can go through the whole of your life. I've been through three lots of career coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, It was only in the last one that I realised the gc index the hook. wow this is powerful because you can go through the whole of your life not knowing what your strengths are occasionally you may get people saying you know jake how do you do that thing that you do so easily and you just go i love doing this you know i you know i just think it's it's easy and they go well i don't i hate it and you go oh well that's maybe a strength so yeah. similar for me my implementer even though i have an average implementer score mid band five I understood by going through my profile that I don't want to implement stuff for other people because I've got so many ideas in my head from my own game changer and strategist energy that I need to reserve my implementer energy to actually implement the stuff that I want to do, not what other people want to do. So things like plans or whatever, I'm terrible at plans. Other people are brilliant, so I'll let them do that. (laughs) So...
0: One other question is, are these things innate? Like, can you say you are always, you have this much energy in strategy, this much energy in implementation or whatever, or is it more situational? So I think to myself, I guess I like to have these big picture, very fairy conversations. So maybe that's strategic. Maybe it's game changing. I don't know, but I'm definitely also quite happy doing some things where I'm just told what to do. And probably not so much in a work context, but if I think about, I don't know, you're employed in some company and they have a volunteering day and you're going out planting trees or tidying up a garden or you know something like that. And that's really nice. And actually everyone seems to enjoy that because you're not having to think about all the stressful stuff. You're just doing something that feels nice and it's got a purpose and you can see it's helpful. So isn't there situationally? Don't we all just want to implement and not uh, and be told what to do almost some of the time?
1: It is. I mean, yeah, this 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 is a diagnostic. It's it's not saying this is how you will always be. I mean, you have an energy in each of the five proclivities, and some days yeah, you may have expended your energy, or you don't want to use the energy in one proclivity. Uh, you want to recharge. Um, so, for me, if I was implementing all day, I wouldn't want to implement the next day. I'd want someone to actually tell me, say, okay, can you just do this? Okay, fine, no, no problem. So, I need to recharge. But it's showing people when that is likely to happen. And, you know, everyone is different. People want to recharge in different ways. Some people recharge by really, like, you know, being able to do or utilise the energy that they do have in a certain proclivity. So it's, it's like blowing up a balloon. You know, If you have a high energy in a certain proclivity, then you can blow up that balloon very, very easily. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have a low energy, you may still be able to do it, but to blow up that balloon, it takes a lot of energy, and you can't do it for too long. It will drain your energy, your energy will dissipate very quickly, and so you want to do something else. So it's everyone understanding each other, so this is not a magic bullet. It is a diagnostic that gives people insights as to why they are the way they are, what they, what impacts they can potentially bring, whether they have the skills or not. So you can actually encourage um, those energies, you know, in terms of training or any anything else or activities to say, okay, you have a natural energy. They do change a bit over time, but not not very much um unless people are starting to detach we do we do have a thing called a later profile so if all of your energies and each of the proclivities is below five then we call that a later profile that's normally a sign that someone is demotivated probably looking to leave the organization or they're going through some sort of trauma at home you know they're, they're disengaged they, they've just lost any motivation to do anything right so you have the the
0: good sense to acknowledge that there's other influences outside these innate proclivities
1: uh yes I mean we've we've got I haven't personally but we, we've got you know quite a lot of examples within our community of GC partners where you know someone has done the profile review and they've come out latent and you know we you know Obviously, with permission, we we talk to the boss of that person and say, did you know that so-and-so is, you know, they've, they're showing a latent profile. You maybe want to go and have a chat with them. And they say, I had no idea, you know, they have a chat and they go, I had no idea that this person is struggling because maybe something outside of work or whatever else. And said, so, you know, thank you for really letting me know because otherwise I thought I was going to lose this person. This person was going to leave the team. So it has has a massive impact. Um, I mean, we have, uh, sorry if this (laughs) this isn't a sales thing, but we we have a young person's equivalent uh, of the GC index, which we use in schools. And so obviously since the pandemic, uh, and obviously with this volatile, with this VUCA world and everything, kids are petrified of what the future holds. You know, everything is, in turmoil, they have high anxiety, low confidence, um, low self-esteem. We actually show kids this in school, even as they are changing quite rapidly, we we let let them do it once a year. But it's having such massive impact in schools, in boosting confidence, boosting self-esteem, letting kids know, say, actually, what you're seeing now, these are real-life skills, durable skills, that will see you through life. If you understand how you are, like you are, I, I, I wish we had the Young Persons Index or Young People Index when, when I was at school. It would have saved me three, lots of career coaching.
0: <laughs> okay, that's interesting. In your work with organisations, have you observed anything like, I guess this question is on a few levels, do you, as a diagnostic, do you find that you know, people often say, sometimes in jest, sometimes a bit more seriously, that there's such a thing as psychopathic tendencies as you go higher up an organisation, because organisations reward that kind of short-termism or instrumentalising other people, using people as a means to an end, um, that kind of thing, and not going into dark triads and personality traits per se, but Analogously, do you see anything like that with the GC index? Do you see that senior managers tend to be more likely to be polishers? For example, I just made that up. Or are they more strategic?
1: Or do you see anything like that? Uh, We do see uh, trends. I mean, at the highest level, um, this this is good for diversity, equity, and inclusion, that we have found across the world, across gender, across age, across geopolitics, whatever else, you know, it is actually very even across all proclivities. So that's ideal for DEI that we can say, you know, we can see what potential people actually have. In terms of your your question itself, uh, we do see the odd pattern. So like in consulting, uh, we do actually see that, by and large, leaders in consulting have their their two top proclivities are normally strategist and implementer. Implementer, because they're early days in consulting, they're just being told to JFDI. Yep. <laughs> so and they're very good, they're very good at implementing stuff. But as they go up the levels, they have to be more strategic. So they typically have a blend of high strategist and high implementer. But that doesn't mean to say that you know that they're any good at it. It just means they have a natural energy. Like like everything, you know, the GT index shows your potential for impact. You then need to have the skills to go with it and the personality. So we don't deal with the personality, so the dark triads or whatever. You know, if someone's got a toxic leadership style, it doesn't matter what their potential is to make an impact if they scare off all of their team and um you know, burn all of their team, then they're not going to deliver very much.
0: <laughs> this is really interesting though. Um, and I should probably be careful because I feel a theory coming on. So I'm, oh excellent. I'm, like I'm sure you'll rein me in. But um this idea of consultants being strategists and implementers on the face of it makes perfect sense. It's kind of kind of what the job is. But back to our discussion about strategy versus game-changing, and given how ubiquitous, especially the big consultancies are, both in the private sector and the public sector, whether that's a good or a bad thing, sure we have opinions, but it's hard to argue. If these organizations are all being seeded and to some extent staffed and run by people that are predominantly strategists and implementers, Does that mean we're missing out on the kind of more visionary, game-changing stuff, going back to three horizons? We're only ever kind of tinkering around, doing continuous improvement, but we're perhaps missing out on seeing what the future really could be like.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, the short answer is, is no, because, yes, out of the consulting leadership, you know, those that are partners or whatever else, managing directors, those are the, the the general traits that we've seen. It's not to say that it's exhaustive that you know those are the only traits, but those are the most common traits that we see. Of course, some consultancies are better than others. Some of them actually, you know, are more people related. You know, look after their people nicely, so you'll have a high playmaker in there. Um, so it is showing people it's showing teams and organizations where their balance of energies are. So, for instance, you know, when we look at CEOs and boards, we can see very easily, just from the the diagrams that we produce as as the reports, we can see very easily where, where there's, you know, unconscious bias in terms of hiring. You know, you can see CEOs and you can see the whole team of the board and you can see it's basically the same profile and you think, yeah. OK, Someone, someone's hiring people in their own image here. So. <laughs> That's interesting, because like
0: a... you, you, you see that quite a lot in various places, but you're saying you actually see it reflected in the GC index.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah you, you do. Yeah. It's not to say that it's not right. It's obviously a bit concerning. But you actually have the diagnostic then to actually talk to the CEO and the board to say, OK, is this a problem? did you notice this? Does it raise any interesting questions as to how you interact together? Is there something that you're missing? And we, you know, as I said, we have team profiles. So depending on the team profile, we can actually say, okay, do you encounter challenges doing this and this? And they'll go, well, funny you should say that. Yes, we do. Yeah, because we can see it in your profile. (laughs) Um, so it enables people to get more insights to be able to, as you know, come back to the beginning, enable them to actually communicate better with each other, to, to understand why they are the way they are. It doesn't mean to say that they're necessarily going to change, but it means that they have they can make a conscious decision as to what they actually do about it. I mean, they can still go ahead and burn all of their people. It's up to them. Um, But if all of their people have been through the GC Index as well, they can see that coming and you know in terms of the potential for impact, but they can also see that okay, well, my boss technically should be quite a nice person. They're very high playmaker, but you know but they have a horrible, horrible personality and really don't like working for them. (laughs) And so everyone disappears from that team. And they go, Okay, well Mr or Miss Mrs. Leader, you know, you're yeah, you, know, you should show yourself as being a high playmaker. that's probably the worst choice because the playmaker is actually an amalgamation score uh, across the four of them. Um but if you know if someone does does have a bad personality, it will show up as actually being personality related, because you'll say, you know, on the face of it, you do have high energy and high potential in this area. It's just that you really have no skills for it. You are in the wrong job. <laughs>
0: makes sense. I'm glad you brought that up actually because I was going to ask whether this is more of a tool for managers to be able to kind of categorise and sort their people and then almost like moving your pawns around on the board or you know moving your soldiers on the map. I'm going to have a strategist here and implement it here and a publisher there. Or conversely is it also a tool for people, employees whatever you want to call them to understand themselves and where they may or may not be be best served by how they're being used in the organisation.
1: Um, yeah, it's 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 a as I say, it's, it's a it's a diagnostic. It, it provides a, an extra dimension that you didn't or you didn't have before. So people are still going to get labelled. And going back to what I forgot about before, when I saw about GC Translate, one one of the reasons why I love the GC Index is that it gets, ironically, it gets rid of the label. So, you know, when I do strategy and operating model stuff traditionally, you know, you do this strategy, you know, the vision, the mission, um, you look at the high-level sort of team team structures, you know, you need architecture, project management, blah, 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 planning. Yeah, And then you start to look at the actual individual teams. So, okay, well, I'll need three project managers, four business analysts, blah, blah, blah. They're treated like commodities, but they're all yeah. the same. All the three project managers are the same. Absolutely, And we can say, actually, they're not. So when I was talking about the GC Translate, when we first uh, had the beta of that tool and we were trying it out, I looked at three CIOs, uh, the raw profiles of three CIO job specs on LinkedIn. Uh, I, uh, I struck lucky. Because there were three CIO positions. One was the CIO of NATO. One was the CIO of NICE, the Clinical Excellence people, and one was the yeah. CIO of the post office. <laughs> A t- topic okay. du jour, but we won't go into that. Tour,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. But it was it was quite easy when we, you know, we just put that role profile into our GC translate, and it does it you know, very quickly, it does it instantaneously. <laughs> For the CIO of NATO, just like if you had a project manager or whatever, for the CIO of NATO, obviously, most of their stuff is, is you know, they're long programs. There's a lot of stakeholders involved. And they'd ha- they had actually written that role spec quite well, because when we put it through the GC Translate, it came up as quite high strategist energy is required and quite a high playmaker energy is required. They needed someone to think the big picture and be able to deal with um a lot of stakeholders. Whereas the, the CIO of NICE that they needed, their role profile had quite you know a high polisher, which you would expect. Clinical excellence. You know, they they have to make sure that things are pretty much perfect. Uh, I can't remember what the second proclivity was. I think that was also playmaker as well. Whereas the the post office, their CIO. the the role was sort of saying we need someone who's a general all-rounder because it's, you know, (laughs) they basically need to fire in all cylinders in all directions. So we we can add color to each person. So, you know, just like with a project manager, you you get people who are very good at long-term projects. They're calm, collected, steady, Versus you can have a project manager who is good for damage limitation, you know, recovery and all that sort of stuff. Just come in and say, yeah. right, roll up their sleeves and say, okay, let's stop doing that, stop doing that, let's do more of this, more of that. We can stop them being commodities. We can actually enable people to utilize the the strengths that they actually have. And they want to contribute. But if they don't give an opportunity, if they're stuck in a box to say, no yeah. you know, you're just a business analyst all business analysts are saying you know you do what business analysts do and if you don't you know don't try and step outside your box because that won't be a business analyst anymore
0: no this, this is great robin i've done in years gone by i've i've done workforce planning exercises where you have a big spreadsheet where you say we want this many bas and this many pm's and yeah, there's full-time people, but this is the blended cost. So this is how much you're worth if you're a BA. This is how much a PM's worth. I have one in this location, what high-cost location, low-cost location, all that kind of stuff. And like you say, it's completely commoditizing people.
1: Um, it is. You're, and that, you're not and a that,
0: rounded flesh-and-blood human being. You're you're a, row in a spreadsheet.
1: And that And that's where we get to this pillar of my Star Trek vision. Uh, Fantastic segue! I'm glad to ask you about that. uh, It is because you know at the at the moment, or for the last thirty or forty years, since I say the PC revolution, you know when PCs came on board. You know before that, it was all paper-based stuff. When PCs came on board, we were able to actually utilise technology to actually improve processes and ideally get people to actually spend more time being people. However, it, over over time, and, you know I exacerbated that. I, I was always technology over process over people mm. thinking, okay, if we get the right technology and automate the right processes, then people can do what they like to do. But it dawned on me, you know certainly late last decade, that this was wrong. It was actually getting worse and worse. We were commoditizing people more and more. that they were getting put put into smaller and smaller boxes put on a shelf and you know when you burn a project manager you say oh don't worry we'll just get another project manager you know off job server whatever else and plug them in they all they're all the bloody same (laughs) yeah Uh,
0: people get reduced and processes and technology get inflated so you get to computer says no where there's a process where everyone has to follow the process no one really understands it. it doesn't really work everyone has to use this system it wasn't designed with people in mind it messes their life up and distorts their behaviour in various ways. And that's just in the workplace. That's before you get to, you know, the effects of always on social media and stuff like that. So it's like the the, the relationship between who's in charge and who's who's serving is kind of um, maybe gone the wrong way around.
1: It is. And we've been serving the process which has been serving the technology. Um, for all these years, which is why I've, in the Star Trek vision, I say this is the Borg route. This is the route that we're currently on. So, you know, the Borg, if if you know your Star Trek TNG and all that sort of stuff and that generation, then you'll know the Borg are the baddies and, you know, that they assimilate worlds, they assimilate peoples, and they turn them into drones. And once the drone is expended, it just gets discarded, they get another one in. That's it. Communication is futile. Everything is futile. It's the end of humanity. And what we do with the, you know, using the GC index, we're able to say, no, we need to flip it the other way around because it's not been working for the last 40 years, 50 years. We can flip it the other way around. We can prioritise the human person. We can see what their natural strengths are. We can encourage those strengths. Once we identify what they are, we can encourage them. Yes, people do change a bit throughout their life, but we can encourage them to really excel at the stuff that they like doing. So that's coming into the Star Trek Federation side of things, where, because that's what happens in the Federation, they look at where people's strengths are, because people don't need to work, apparently, in in that age. But people do like to work, and people like to work doing the things they like doing. So they identify where people's natural strengths are, they encourage them, but then they use AI, artificial intelligence, to do a lot of the heavy lifting, which is where we're starting to get to now. So that's pillar two, is using AI to augment the human, to do a lot of the heavy lifting, but it's still the human in the chain. It's still the human making the decisions. It's still the human making the directions. You just use AI to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Brilliant.
0: And you just did the next one of my segues for me, thank you, which is I was going to ask you about the other aspect of your work, which is... You do some stuff about using AI for good, and you, I know you do some work with ChatGPT. Um, and this is really interesting because, I mean, I tend to, I tend to be skeptical of trends, and just because everyone's talking about something doesn't mean it's necessarily the most important thing. But there's no doubt that AI is, dare I say, a game changer. It's a qualitative shift in. The relationship between people and technology and maybe between people and each other as well and on the face of it it's, it looks like kind of a force multiplier for almost anything that people can do or anything that could be going on in the world and as we know that's not all good right and you can have you can have ai enabled terrorism or ai enabled uh building biological weapons using publicly available DNA information and and technology and that kind of thing but you you, you clearly you, you don't have a doomsday take on this you have quite an optimistic take about using AI to to enable us to 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 be the best we can be is that fair to say?
1: uh yes I mean if you talk to any of my friends, you'd probably hear that most of them actually say I'm a glass half empty. <laughs> but I'm actually a, a glass half full. So yes, the Star Trek Federation sort of um, ideal, that would be the ideal. We'd probably end somewhere in the middle, a bit like Seven of Nine, or you know, anything like that. But AI is a tool, just like a laptop is a tool, just like a hammer is a tool. So any any tool can be used for good or evil, and it will get used for good or evil. You just hope more people are using it for good, and those that do use it for good use it also to defend themselves against those that use it for evil. So even even a hammer, you know, if people use it for good, they use a hammer to drive nails into wood or whatever else. If they use it for evil, they use it to club someone over a head, over their head. So <laughs> it, it it is a tool, but it's obviously a very powerful tool and it is it is a, a game changer i mean as, a, as i've said i liken it to the, the pc revolution going from paper to to digital we got to this, that stage where you know we've had a paper-based process the boss has come into the office and stuck a laptop or a big desktop at the time on your desk and you go this is the way you're going to do it now that's where we are at the moment we've got early days you know we're in DOS world, if you know MS-DOS and all that sort of stuff. So it's all command line type stuff. We haven't got to Windows yet.
0: <laughs> Sh- showing my age, but yes, I do remember that.
1: But yeah, this this is, I mean, we, AI has been around since the 1960s. One uh, the, of well, the first ones was GPS, not not the global positioning system, but the general problem solver. I think there's my sin and Eliza. But we've all had AI for the last 10 or 20 years netflix have been using it you know we've got auto complete on you know uh texts and all that sort of stuff yeah it's been there but it's only since you know gpt 3.5 from open ai came on the scene on november the 30th 2022 which was leap years ahead in terms of capability than anything else which is why every everyone like mckinsey um PWC and every, everyone else, they've had to go and reevaluate all of their all of the um, prediction timelines and brought everything in by, you know, quite a lot of years, <laughs> to say, cheaper.
0: Yeah, no, no. thanks for the clarification. Obviously, AI has been around for a while, and it's essentially based on machine learning, which is essentially based on regression, which is based on statistics, and none of that is new, it's just the, ca- you know, computing power's got cheaper and- And the data sets available to train it has also become correspondingly larger. I guess what we're talking about really, and the inflection point, is with generative AI. And that's that's the point where, yes, it is a tool, but there is an important difference. So a hammer, or the drill that I just used to put up a a little shelf in my shed, which I was ridiculously pleased with, that a hammer doesn't go and build another hammer. A drill can't go and build another drill, right? It only works when you hold it in your hand and you use it. But generative AI can and does write amendments to laws and constitutions. It can write contracts. It can write code, and you know, people that don't know very much about coding can say, "Please write me a program in Python that does such and such." You know, you don't even have to learn Python. Um, and, you know, potentially it can enhance itself, you know, write, write an AI tool that does the following things. So, and that's the sense, and, and I don't know if you come across the term exponential tech. In that sense, it's, it's something that can become self-perpetuating and uh, it's hard to see very far down the chain of consequences.
1: I mean, that that that, that is artificial general intelligence. So, generative AI... Um, is a different, totally different class. So at the moment, yes, it can do those things that you that you said, but it can't do it itself. It does it under instruction right. from a, from, a, from a human. You can get it to iterate to say, okay, you know, I I use prompts and I say, okay, I have this bit of text that let's say I've already written. I say I want you to use a persona of a commercial specialist, a sales specialist, a content specialist. And I want you to critique it. I want you to come up with suggestions how to make it better. But I don't want you to come back to me, you know, individually. I want to see what your individual personas actually say about it. But I want all of your personas to agree on the best compromise for any you know suggested altered text, which it can do. And that's about limit it, you know, it can do at the moment. To be able to think of its own implications of any steps that it does and then plan ahead and preempt um, what your next questions or whatever is. You know, so, like an AI that will change the traffic system so that there is a certain amount of crashes, which makes a knock on effect to hospitals, that hospitals get swamped and all that sort of stuff. You know, that is artificial general intelligence um yes there is obviously you know there's always going to be a risk of that there's a risk of anything but that's why there is always a balance in terms of why why we have so much emphasis on the ethics of it and how it's actually going to be managed and controlled in terms of how these things get let loose in the wild you know they they will have to be a lot more transparent you know, they will have to prove it to, to governments as to what it can do, what it can't do. There are different, you know, I'm nowhere near anywhere a specialist on this, but there are different architectural patterns as to how you actually have, um, you know, a high powered AI within, uh, say a quality check AI that will actually make sure that the, the core AI has not gone rogue, or is not doing anything it shouldn't be doing. So they'll a- actually have AIs controlling AIs to say, "No, you're a bad AI." You know, <laughs> we're going to turn you off at source and all that sort of stuff.
0: Okay, um, it's interesting. You talked about the persona of AIs, and that made me think back to what we were talking about earlier. Is there such a thing as an AI that has a particular GC index? or could you get one to um to mimic a particular gc profile
1: uh yes that's actually uh some of the ideas which i actually have in my head for custom gpt's um so one of my ideas is that for any bit of text let's say marketing material for any bit of text like I, let's say a template email i may have a template email to say okay this is what i want to send out to all these people I could do a GC translate of their LinkedIn profile to get an idea of what their actual energy profile is, their GC index profile is. And I could say, okay, this person is more of a strategist. They want to see the big picture. They want to see how it all fits together. So I can say, I could say to the ch- custom GPT, go, here's my template email. The person I want to give it to is more of a strategist. So they want to see the bigger picture. So can you tailor my template email to it to, 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 to really influence and, you know, connect with this person. So, we could, you know, we could do that with, with anything and everything. So those are the ideas. It's all very practical. It's, it's very achievable. I just haven't done it yet. <laughs>
0: oh, fair enough. No pressure. Could, could ChatGPT or something like it ever act as a game changer or a visionary? Given that essentially it's trained on massive data sets of things that have been thought or said or written down before. In in, in the sense that it's not it's effectively pattern matching with between what you've requested and the massive amount of data that it's been trained on. Can it create anything genuine genuinely new?
1: I have listened to a, a few podcasts where know they do talk about that kind of thing it can can it create something genuinely new it can probably interpolate whether it is something totally brand new actually yes it can there there are people that have been applying for patents um in the us and uh, a patent was denied because he said you know it was created by their gpt um and you know the payment was denied because it wasn't created by a human being. However, yeah, I, I'm not. I don't quite agree with that So people use tools to to help them do stuff and design stuff. So you know, geneticists or whatever else will use computers to to help them work out things, and they'll probably patent it and all that sort of stuff. But um, but. Uh, I've lost my train of thought again. <laughs> what was the okay. question?
0: <laughs> We're talking about AI being truly um, creative. Or creative. Uh, yes, that was
1: it. Um, I mean, whether whether yeah, you know, whether you take that argument or not that it that it can one thing that it does do, and it has done for me, uh, very quickly is that when I have a blank sheet of paper and say, "Okay, I'm thinking about a proposal to do this," um, come up with some ideas. And it will come up with ideas, and I'll I'll tailor it to say, okay, the audience is so-and-so and so-and-so, and so so they're very keen on this, that, and the other. And it will tailor it and say, okay. But it will actually include stuff which I wouldn't have dreamt of in a million years. Um, Okay. Because it has that big body of knowledge. I mean, yes, I may have come up with it, but it may have been after about two weeks of Google searching, whatever else, and just happened to trip over something. But it can do it, you know. click of of a click of your fingers So it can come up with things so much quicker that that then gives you more creative power to come up with something brand new think okay i can see you know many more factors or perspectives or whatever else as to what goes into this Mm -hmm. so i don't make mistakes you know i'm likely to make less mistakes because i see the bigger picture a lot earlier so I can allow for that in whatever I do create so I, I create I create I create graphics and stuff now I'm videos using Dali and I don't use mid-journey yet but you know I use canva I'm you know, I've, I' haven't got an artistic bone in my body really haven't and I used to hate have to do LinkedIn posts where I, you know you think okay I need to think of an image to go on here I don't have to yeah. bother with that I actually find it delight you know I gave I get it to draft a LinkedIn post. I then go and quality check it. I add things in, take things out. I personalize it. But I get it to give me a quick prompt, which I can put into Dali or into Canva, and say, okay, based on what I'm talking about, can you give me a a small little prompt, which I can put into Dali to come up with a a good image? And it comes up with a good image, and it can do that so quickly. And I think, I can actually draw things. Well, I don't draw it, but you know, I've got a concept in my head, which I can't get other people to to visualise, but now I can. And yes, it may take a few iterations. to say, no, that's that's rubbish. You know, a bit more, bit more this, a bit bit less that. Peter. But it's actually something which I dreaded and hated. I actually now find a joy.
0: No, I I get that. That, that. That's kind of cool. I guess it becomes then more important for you to have a clear idea of what it what it is you actually want so that you know because this could easily just become a toy you know, or you know I can make it draw pictures of anything but
1: what I'm actually trying it's, to do it's, it's, a a, toy. It's, a, it's a great toy <laughs> the best the best tools are great toys
0: <laughs> yeah so I'm not trying to be all perfect and saying we shouldn't have fun but at the same time I, I know you have a, a serious purpose which we talked about before there's something about humanizing work humanizing technology so when you do use the technology, it's in service of that purpose. It can be fun, but it's not. The fun is not the point per se, is it?
1: No, I, I, the fun. It's like, it's like people say: it's, it's not it's not the destination; it's the journey. Um, yeah. I'm I'm very much like that. So, you know, it is. It's it's the fun of going through these steps, these activities so quickly. To achieve something which you want to achieve, I I find that fun. Some people may may not, you know. Some people will say it takes the fun out of it. it you know, so, certainly for creatives, they will say you know, you're missing the essence of humanity or whatever else. But I and I I agree with them to a deg- to a degree on that. It does, but it what it's doing is it's actually in, improving the sort of baseline for Joe average human to say some of the things that they just have never been able to do before, like me, drawing, I can now do to a, you know, a crude level. Let's still call it crude, even though they are actually pretty good. But that also then gives me more insight as to how good the professionals are. So if I can be, if I can increase my productivity in creating images by, let's say, 1,000% going from zero to, you know, average, then just imagine what the professionals can do. You know, the professionals that go from 80% to 280%. So it gives people more of a... Uh, oh, I've forgotten the word. Uh, more of... Awareness is probably the best way. More of an appreciation, that's the word. More yeah. of an appreciation of how good the professionals are. So people will still want to engage those professionals to say, okay, well, yes, I can do this, that, and the other. I can get it to that level. But it's still quite obvious that I've used AI or whatever to do it. If I really want to be a differentiator, I would still engage a professional to say, okay, well, I've I've got a brand, let's say a brand image, which I've done on Dali or Midjourney. It's something like this. This is what I can get out of my head into something which is what mm. I think. You know, can you now go away and come up with variants on that or something completely different? And that's what they will do, because you won't have the creativity or yeah you know the, the the skills to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. So the use case for a skilled creative human is, is still very yeah. much there. Yeah. A tool like DALI presumably is trained on again, masses of data that was produced, hopefully, by by humans that's, that's out there on the internet. What if we get to a point where so much of the data that's available to be trained on was itself produced by tools like DALI, so you have, in effect, AI consuming its own output?
1: Uh, well, that's that's already happening because there isn't enough data in the world anyway. Uh, there was a good lecture by the Turing Institute at the, uh, sorry, the Turing Academy at the Royal Institute last September, where they actually showed, you know, logarithmic charts as to how much data uh, and information these models have already ingested. And they've already ingested, you know, looks very, very close to all output that humans have created, written, diagram, or otherwise, since the year dot. And you think it's done that so quickly. Whereas it, you know, it had the human scale, which was right at the very bottom. So the average human throughout their lifetime of everything that they either read, write, say, or whatever else, it was basically on zero percent relatively. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um but so yes, these these models are having to synthesize some of it, their their own data. Um which is I, I I mean I'm not a specialist in that but I can see the logic behind it that there is no other data left so if you can create synthetic data which is utilizing the the best of the data that we have but in different formats different permutations whatever but still you know let, let's say you know, not not deliberately removing biases, but you yeah, you can use it to train out biases to say, okay, after ingesting all of human knowledge, you know, they are unearthing biases in there that even humans did not realize because of the, the scale of what they've ingested. You say, okay, well, we yeah. you know as humanity goes, we don't we don't particularly want these biases. So you can create synthetic data to sort of reset that bias a tiny bit if you can't sort of untrain it. So you know there's pros pros and cons either way. Um you know, you need very brainy people, very good data scientists, and everything else to do that, and people checking them, and people checking the checkers who check them.
0: <laughs> it's it's interesting. Um yeah, I guess my concern is always about a point where, the, where a process takes on a dynamic of its own where you have the thing that we created to serve us ending up shaping so much of the world around us that that becomes the natural world. So if you imagine on day one, AI trained on human ideas, literature, art, philosophy, all the rest of it, doing a very good job of synthesizing that, sharing it, showing us what we had, but didn't even know because that has access to all that stuff. And for a certain amount of time, you, you get the value out of that. But then beyond a certain point, more and more of the data and the words and the speech and the thoughts and the images in the world are actually created by the AI. So we end up, we end up almost living in, a, in an artificial simulated world.
1: So there, is, there is a there is a risk, just you know, just like with anything. You know, even if you have you know a crowd of people all with hammers, you know, <laughs> you'd like to think they'd they'd all do a barn raising or something like that. But no, they would end up clubbing each other over the head. You, could you know, if there is a risk of doing something, then there will be people that are put, hopefully, put in place to actually do the do the checks. Which is why I always say it's augmented intelligence. You know, it's still got the human in the chain, but there'll be people doing the checks and everything else. Course, we yeah. we don't know exactly what is going to happen, but you need to have the belief that there will be p- people there checking as much of this as possible.
0: Yeah, and. I shouldn't end without letting you say something about the um the prompt analyzer that you developed because this is an offering that you've come up with to help people use tools like Chat GPT in a more intelligent way to make make the best use out of them, Oh,
1: thank you very much. Uh, yes, I'm I'm part of an AI collective. I'm one of the core members and I've I've created a, a suite of AI webinars to get people onto the AI curve in a balanced manner. So as I've said, I think, at the beginning, you know, I have a background in architecture, I have a background of not allowing clients to solutionize without understanding what the problem statement is, and why, you know, what the root causes are, they'll say, no, just because it's nice and shiny, doesn't mean to say, you know, you will want it. So when I started looking at AI, I thought, okay, well, this is going to be a game changer. Um, I need to learn, as much as I can so that I can actually help inform other people to say okay what is the practical and pragmatic way through this and that's what I've done and it's now been t- picked up by AI collective it's pending accreditation as well um, and we're rolling out to anyone and everyone small businesses NEDs leadership to show a pragmatic route through all this stuff to get rid of to to cut a path through all the the, the fluff and the noise and people getting the wrong ideas that AI will be able to do everything for you, you know, make the bed and you know, stir your cup of tea, which you probably can, but you know. <laughs> um, so I, I've done these webinars, and you know, the the first step is, as well as giving you an overview of what AI is and the use cases and everything else, it's showing how you can actually create an effective prompt because like the old adage garbage in garbage out if you if you are not specific enough then you're going to get something non-specific coming out like like the old um was it australian um air, uh, airplane sort of it wasn't a joke it was actually real you know uh, an engineer airline engineer got a note saying um from a pilot saying something loose in cockpit. <laughs> to which the engineer then replied on a post-it saying something tightened in cockpit. So I actually, um, and that that actually also has ethical and uh, climate-related connotations as well. So each yeah. time you put in a prompt, it's obviously using a lot of energy through data centers and all that sort of stuff. The more generic uh, a prompt you give it, the more it's going hunting across everywhere to come back with a response which is going to be garbage so so it's wasting are... energy for not much benefit yeah. whereas we actually you know in our, our first webinar we we go through the the basic prompt components to say okay uh, these are the prompt components which you should think of we got six which is a you know a pretty much mandatory if you don't include these then you're likely you got more risk of garbage coming back so i've created a custom gpt that will actually analyze your your prompt uh, and it will score it uh, according to these must-haves, should-haves, and nice-to-haves, and also come up with recommendations to say, okay, well, if you add this and if you add that, based on what your prompt is, and it will actually come up with a revised prompt, which will guide you more down the path of what you need to do to actually have a decent prompt. Um, I mean, I only created it a couple of weeks ago, but... Uh, just just for just for a laugh because I I don't really look at my checklist now of, of all the components that I need to put in there, but I thought oh, I'll give myself a quick test. So one of the prompts which I I had put in, so I, I have different chats, you know, for my products or services, my website, my LinkedIn profile, my LinkedIn posts, all that sort of stuff. I thought I'll, I'll just for a laugh, I'll put my one of my organic prompts in there, and it came up with ninety five percent. I thought, yay! <laughs> It said it's almost a perfect prompt I thought excellent <laughs> oh, So it, it just 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 helps people get on on that path and get more acclimatized and accustomed to this this big new tool, toy, big new world.
0: Thanks for explaining that. So at the risk of putting words in your mouth sounds like this stuff is out there in the world, whether we like it or not, is very powerful. It could easily be used by people that don't know what they're doing with potentially bad outcomes so you're trying to make sure people know what they're doing and they use it intelligently
1: uh yeah because we didn't do a very good job with social media that's just set people against everyone else it's created a a very toxic populist world um With and even even the what was it the one the Microsoft AIs or whatever one of the first ones that they put out there and they put it onto Twitter and it it, oh
0: the the racist tweets
1: yeah it went psychotic psychopathic you know within hours (laughs) (laughs) and you just think well that that sort of represents social a lot of social media actually so yeah we're 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 hopefully learning in terms of AI to say okay you know it does need to be more ethically compliant and not given the free reign like social media has
0: i certainly hope so
1: fingers crossed yeah well
0: thank you for talking us through your your take on humanizing technology and wise use of ai um robin if people want to look up your organization what you can do for them where would they find you
1: Uh, Well, you can find me on on LinkedIn. Just look for Robin Davis without without an E. Uh, Or they can look up my company, Assurativity. Um, Or they can obviously ask you, Jake. (laughs) Uh, But on my LinkedIn profile, I have a big button for uh, View My Portfolio, which goes to a load of videos and everything else and links on, on Linktree so i have link if people know link um it's oh i keep forgetting it now link tree or link trip dot slash at assurativity
0: brilliant okay i'm sure people will find that robin davis thank you so much for coming on the show
1: thank you very much for inviting me jay